Welcome to New Mexico in Focus, the podcast for Monday, December 27th, the last Monday of the year. I am your host, Kevin McDonald, executive producer here at New Mexico PBS. Thanks so much for taking us with you on the road. If you're traveling to the gym, wherever you listen to your podcasts, we hope this is a great way for you to take the show with you and make this as accessible and easy to digest as possible. We want to remind you that this Friday we will continue our top 10 stories of 2021, the countdown, with a special line opinion panel of all journalists. But in this episode, going to share some content that we did on Facebook Live in recent weeks. We just don't have time for all of this in the on-air show on New Mexico PBS each week, but love to bring it to you here. First up, in discussion about inflation, something we're hearing a whole lot about as Congress debates the Build Back Better bill. There's the defense bill. We know the supply chain issues. A lot of talk about inflation, and you have no doubt seen the impacts at the gas pump, at the grocery store, and other places. But is this a permanent situation? Is this COVID-related? Where do we go from here? We want to get some answers from somebody who really knows these things inside and out. So host Jean Grant caught up with Dr. Janie Chermack from UNM. She's the head of the economics department. And just a fascinating conversation here. Let's get right into it. Here's host Jean Grant. Hey, folks, welcome. It's Christmas week, isn't it? Yeah, but there's still stuff to talk about. It's Monday, a little bit ahead of our usual Wednesday Facebook Live because of the short week this week, but we're very pleased to have Janie Chermack. She's a professor and a chair, actually, the Department of Economics at the University of New Mexico. We're going to be talking about something that's been in the air a lot the last couple of weeks, which is inflation. As you know, with this word has been bandied about, of course, in the federal side of things when trying to figure out this infrastructure program and all the other things that the president wants to do and the inflation fears there. But inflation has been happening. We're going to find out what's going on and should we be afraid of this or not? So, Janie, thank you for joining. We really appreciate it. I want to, if I could, just as broadly as you can, I know this is difficult, economics being as complicated as it is, but is there a short primer on what inflation actually is to get us going so folks know where we're heading in the conversation? Sure. Inflation basically is an overall increase in the price in, in prices. So if you think about a normal situation, you might go out and buy a, a good, a loaf of bread, whatever it is. If the price of that goes up, but the price of everything else doesn't go up, that's not inflation. But if you go to the grocery store and everything you generally buy and the gasoline that you buy, just everything you generally tend to buy, if all of the prices are increasing at the same time, that would indicative of inflation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, there's, again, as, the lay, as a layperson, I, I re- try to read a lot about this, and I'm having trouble carving out why the supply side of stuff and all the things we're hearing about, you know, container ships not able to get products in to stores and stuff, why is that impactful on inflation, or is it vice versa? What, what is the relationship between those two things? Um, that is, I think, part of what we're seeing right now. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I think the the inflation that we're seeing right now is, is is actually being impacted by a number of things. But the idea of supply chain, which really is exactly what you're saying, the goods not mm-hmm. being able to make it from wherever they were produced to the cargo ship to the to the ports in the U.S. to the final store, that means there's simply fewer goods available. So when you go into the store and you see that there are not as many 
you know, uh, loaves of bread, if we stick with that example, or as many cars on the lots is one of the things that you've heard a lot of people talk about, that right. means that there is a disruption basically in the number of goods making it to the market. And if there are not enough cars, loaves of bread, whatever it happens to be, what that basically means is, is that if demand hasn't changed, but there's fewer goods, that mm -hmm. would be part of part of the impact or, or part of an, a factor impacting inflation. Now, we've been down this road before plenty. You know, you read about history of American economics. You don't have to go that far back, you know, following world wars, following uh, in the late 60s, and the early 80s. I mean, we've had a lot of stagflation way back when we'll cover that word uh, here in a little bit. Uh, you know, folks are predicting about a 6% increase, uh, sometimes 7%, some folks 7%. Is that a lot in perspective? Again, as a layperson, I read these numbers. I'm not sure if that's a staggering number about normal. Where does that fit in? That's that's a really good question, and I think it it, it depends upon how you look at it. Um, mm -hmm. The way that inflation is measured is basically you can think of it as where are we relative to where we were last year. Okay, okay. and so one of the things that that means is is that we're looking at these inflationary numbers relative to being in the middle of a pandemic. That's not to say that we're out of the pandemic. But mm -hmm. if things were dampened then, that would suggest that maybe that's a little bit larger than one would see. That aside, 6% inflation basically means that the prices in general are increasing at 6% a year. In order mm -hmm. for the worker to or somebody who has a paycheck to be in, you know, to be equivalent to where they were a year ago, that would mean their wages would need to increase 6% as well. Mm -hmm. Now, put this in broader perspective, this is not nearly, I think, as uh, as large of an inflationary impact as what we saw in the late 70s, early 80s, for instance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and those were long lasting, weren't they? Those those things, if I, if I recall reading my reading correctly, we went through periods of inflation back then that lasted almost a decade. Do you anticipate the same thing for this time period? Um, at this point, I think I'm in one of those, I think I'm in the camp that would say that no, that I don't think that that would, would be that long. You mentioned mm -hmm. um, World War II, the Korean War, and if mm -hmm. you saw the impact of inflation there, uh, that, even though it was, it was short-lived, was still a year or two years. Um, mm -hmm. The decades, one that we saw in the 70s, 80s, I think that was a little bit different, but every one of these episodes has different factors that are impacting it. And so it kind of depends not only on an individual factor, but how all of these factors mesh together and, and what the timing is of those, if that makes sense. It does make sense. Actually, I appreciate the way you put that. Um, how do I, you know, go back to gas prices. That's the big one, of course, the big shiny object that people see the most and they throw stones at. How, you know, how, how do these things fall into the equation, the, the, the rising prices of things? Or is this, or is this a cause and effect scenario I'm describing here? I, a little of both is probably what I would say. So for instance, okay, if we look at rising gas prices, the reason that prices are increasing for gasoline or the reason that prices increased for gasoline over, say, the, the Thanksgiving holiday, number one, they always increase around holidays, it seems, because travel increases. But I think you have a confluence of things that uh, maybe impacted a little bit more than what we normally would see. Number one, there's an increase in demand. More people wanted to travel. More people have been traveling in the last few weeks or last few months. That means right. all else equal, unless you increase the number of gallons of gasoline available, the price is going to increase. 
At the same time, you see not only the supply chain uh, problem, but probably more importantly is one of the largest factors in the price of gasoline is the price of crude oil. The price of crude oil increased substantially over a several week or month period, months period, um, due to a number of things. Number one, OPEC, which is as a consortium, the largest producer of oil in the world, OPEC and Russia, which also is a large producer, basically were not increasing the quantity of oil that you were seeing produced. At the mm -hmm. same time, because of depressed prices over the last couple of years in the U.S., you saw a lot of uh, a lot of oil production in the U.S. that kind of tapered off and didn't come back online. So again, mm -hmm. on the one hand, more people want to buy gasoline. At the same time, due to a number of reasons, the price of oil increased, which means the price of gasoline increased as well. And both mm -hmm. of those things ended up in higher gas prices. Yeah, good points there. Um, you're reminding me, again, in my research, swing, at least swing back to the World Wars and, and particularly uh, after World War II, where there was rationing. And of mm -hmm. course, the country was flush right after that. And people wanted to spend because of all that rationing. And the analogy is that it's, it feels similar to some economists coming out of this pandemic as to how it came out of World War II and rationing and that the, this was a contributing factor to the inflation back then for a couple of years, as you mentioned, not the big 10-year one. Is that, is that an apt analogy? Um, maybe. I mean, with, without the rationing. I mean, in this case, yeah. I think it would have been a little more, you know, well, self-imposed, but also obviously you, you saw reduced buying simply because of the lockdowns with COVID. And mm -hmm. so I think for a bit, what you saw was people reducing down the buying of it, especially things that were durable goods or long lasting goods, automobiles, for instance. And I'm talking recently now. Um, mm -hmm. So in that case, I think what we're seeing is an increase in consumption of some types of durable goods, which means, yes, that's, I think, similar to what we were seeing probably after World War II or maybe the Korean War as well. Um, mm -hmm. But on the other side, you know, the, 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 if we look at the, um, oh, the demand for services, we aren't seeing any increase or we aren't seeing anything that is above normal, I think, in the United States right now. So mm -hmm. uh, in some areas, yeah, you're seeing that increased pent-up demand, if you will. In other areas, you're not seeing that. Gotcha. Um, big news, of course, the Federal Reserve announced it's forecasting three interest rate hikes uh, for 2022. Folks are sort of waiting for this word for quite a while here. I'm interested in your initial blush thought. It, it, was this almost inevitable? I mean, obviously, we got to get interest rates back up for a lot of reasons, but why and, and what's the best way to do this? Yeah, that's if I if I knew the answer to that one, I could be rich. Um, <laughs> you'd be, you know, you'd be at the Fed, question, right? Yeah, I'll give exactly. <laughs> I'd be at the Fed. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think in that case, what we've seen is we've seen a long, sustained period of very low interest rates, um, yeah. probably an unprecedented level of low interest rates, which means money is cheap, money is inexpensive. Uh, you can go out and. You can get a car loan at close to 0% interest. You can get a house loan at a very low level. What that means is, is that it doesn't give anybody the incentive to basically save money. Um, mm. And so if you look at all of that, at some point, you do need to raise the interest rates. Um, the announcement that uh, that they are going to raise rates or their anticipation of three rate increases during the next year I mm -hmm. think one of the things that maybe is interesting here is you didn't see a reaction or a very large reaction from Wall Street 
Because in the mm. past, when there's been the, hey, we're going to raise interest rates, you, you've you seen an immediate response almost from Wall Street, yeah. which has not been a good one. Um, and so then they've kind of backed off. In this case, there's really no direction to go but up in terms of interest rates. And they're going to have to start at some place point. And this perhaps is perhaps is a good time to do it. Um, mm-hmm. The problem mm-hmm. is, is as you increase the interest rate, you slow down the economy because your car loan costs more, your mortgage costs more. If a firm wants to borrow money to expand, it costs more. That would slow down an economy. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe that's what they want to do right now, but I think it's going to have to be a really, a really careful thought out dance in terms of how they do that. Mm-hmm. What's the upshot for New Mexicans, Janie? What I mean by that is for consumerism, for consumers, I, you know, it's hard to forecast into next spring, second quarter, that kind of thing. But what, what should we expect here in New Mexico? Are we, are we in a position here being just a little bit out of the, how do I put this, out of the stream um, financially? Are we set up for a big hurt here or is this an opportunity to get back on our feet a little bit more? Well, you know, that's a really good question. And I think it's going to depend upon a number of factors. So mm-hmm. I think if you look from the consumer side of things, um, you know, there there are a group of economists who say or who would forecast that inflation is here and it's due to fundamental changes. Um, there's a group that would say it's transitory, which means mm-hmm. that there are a number of shocks in the system right now that when they work, when it works itself out, things should calm down. Um, mm-hmm. Now, the problem with that is, is that, okay, if it's transitory, if this is all going to you know, decline or dissipate, then consumer side of things, I think you know, we should see that bit of a reduction probably in the rise of prices. To the extent that New Mexicans have seen increases in their wages, that would mean that they, they may be in a, in a slightly better position. But the other part of that is the fact that if you see the, if you see the Federal Reserve increase um, interest rates, then what that means is money is more expensive. It's going to cost you more for that car. It's going to cost you more for your house. If you are a firm, the problem there is, is if you are going to expand, it costs you more to borrow that money. Now, curiously enough, uh, I think large corporations have seen fairly fairly high profit levels in the last few years, and mm-hmm. it doesn't appear that they have been see- seeing huge expansions in, in what they're doing in terms of their capital outlays. In fact, a lot of them have spent money buying back their stock, which is a whole other story. But right. <laughs> getting back to New Mexico, um, mm-hmm. if you have a lot of mom and pop stores, and if you have a lot of businesses that work on credit, that you're waiting until that next invoice comes in, or you're waiting you know, on that loan, that means it could be more expensive. So, I mean, I think it's going to probably be uneven. Large corporations probably are going to be fine unless they were planning on expanding. Um, Smaller entities that maybe don't have that cushion of capital, they may see higher costs. That's that's a hard thing. So Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be a mixed bag um, for consumers the cost of some things is going to go up. If inflation right. dissipates, the cost of the grocery store or the gas pump may go down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I'm curious your thoughts on the Christmas season. They'll let you get away here as we're all on a short week here. Um, what's your what's your prediction? My my read is that 
retailers have all the goods they need to sell now. In fact, they found a way to creatively get their, their shelf stock right behind our backs. That's not an issue. So should we anticipate a robust Christmas season? Um, you know, to a large degree, it seems like the, from what, what I've seen, which is not a lot, um, but what, what it mm-hmm. seems up to now is it's been a fairly decent um, Christmas season. And, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that there are goods on the shelves suggests that, yay, if you're still going out to buy your Christmas gifts, they're going to be available. The question is, mm-hmm. is have people already factored that in? Has everybody already bought all of their Christmas goods? Right. And so will right. the things that are on the shelves right now be, be purchased? That I'm not mm-hmm. really sure about, quite frankly, because I don't know how well people plan to hit. I don't, let me say so, um, you know, so I'd be the one out there trying to buy something off the shelf right now. Um, so right. I think it's, I think it's going to depend, but I think a lot of the dire warnings of you weren't going to be able to purchase X, Y, and Z seems to not be coming to fruition, at least to the extent that everybody thought it would. That's right. Janie, I can't thank you enough. Janie Chermack, a professor and chair of the Department of Economics at UNM, um, I would love to be able to do this again because obviously the inflation story is not ending anytime soon. Uh, and maybe even a post-mortem on the Christmas season might be uh, appropriate as well to see how local retailers did. Because honestly, I, I don't think I'm alone here. I think there's a lot of people that are shopping smart, meaning I'm not spent. I told my girls already, your Christmas gifts are going to be bought in January because everything's going to be on sale. <laughs> and they, they laughed about it. I think there's a lot of consumers who are holding, honestly. Right. You know what I mean? I know you know this. It's an interesting little dance that's going on right now in the economy for the Christmas season. So this should be very interesting come January to kind of look back. So, oh, Jamie, I think you're exactly Jamie, right. Have a good Christmas. Yeah, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Oh, oh no, that's no problem. Um, I said, yeah, I mm-hmm. think you're exactly right that I think every consumer is different and it just depends upon are the majority following your trend or were, is there a majority who said, I'm going to do this early so I have that present under the tree. That's right. Um, That's right. Time will tell. That's right. Omicron is lurking as well. Janie, thank you so much. Have a great holiday. Really appreciate it. We'll talk to you later on. You too. Take care. Guys, absolutely. We'll see you Friday night this Christmas Eve on Channel 5. What do we got? The first batch of our top 10 stories of 2021, 10 through 6, this Friday night and 6 through 1. You'll have to tune in next Friday night, New Year's Eve to find out when that is. So we'll see you then. Thanks, folks. Have a very safe holiday. Also on Facebook Live recently, we caught up with a veteran film set armorer. These are the people in charge of weapons on film sets that have weapons. And uh, the armor position has been one of the areas of focus in the tragedy that happened on the Rust film set uh, earlier this year in terms of there being apparently live rounds on set, how the weapons were handled, uh, as well as the tragedy uh, during um, a rehearsal where actor Alec Baldwin actually shot the the gun and killed the cinematographer. Uh, Alec Baldwin is now saying he did not even pull the trigger. We're going to talk to uh, Scott Rasmussen, this armorer, about the possibility of that and just protocol and safety on film sets in general as well as what this does. Does it put a stain on New Mexico's film crew and film industry that has been such a boon for the state over the last decade or so? So lots to get into here. Let's send it right back to host Gene Grant. Thank you for joining us for a very 
special Facebook Live wanted to get this in in December because it's a situation moving very quickly. It's the situation on the film Rust, as you know, and Alec Baldwin in that very unfortunate situation, which ended up costing the life of cinematographer Helena Hutchins. New developments almost daily. Um, last week, a judge ordered the first assistant director by the name of David Halls to adhere to a subpoena from the State Environment Department. And that follows, of course, the recent interview with Mr. Baldwin on ABC with ABC's George Stephanopoulos, where Mr. Baldwin claims he never actually pulled the trigger. And we're trying to make sense of this. We're lucky enough to have be joined today by someone quite familiar with firearms on film sets and using them on film sets, Scott Rasmussen is a master armorer and gunsmith. He's worked on several Hollywood shows, including the 2015 Gunslingers, The Condemned Two, and A Valley of Violence, and Jane Got a Gun. I think there's firearms on all those shows, if I'm, I'm following the thread here. <laughs> before are, we get yeah. into right? <laughs> Scott, before we get into the specifics of this, could you start by explaining what is the actual role of the armorer on a set and how, take us through the process there. Uh, basically, I supply the weapons to the show, make sure they're used in a safe manner, uh, instruct anybody in the use of the weapon if they're unfamiliar with the use of the weapon mm -hmm. and basically make sure that nobody does something ridiculous that could harm anybody else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, we don't want to get into supposition here since none of us are on set. So I don't want to, I'm not going to put you to the, to the line on that, but okay. I'm, I'm, yeah, I, you know, it's the truth is coming and let's just put it that way. Uh, but given the responsibilities you just mentioned, where do you see blame falling in this case? Or is it a combination of errors versus blaming one single person? It's a combination of errors, definitely. Yeah. The first error was, I understand, they told the armor not to be inside the church. That's the first major error. Wherever a gun is, the armor has to be with that weapon mm -hmm. uh, to ensure that it's safely handled, to make sure that whoever is handling it does so in a safe manner. Mm -hmm. So that's the first error. The second error is the assistant director. Ah. He should not have picked up the weapon without asking the armor about it. Right. And do that from what I understand. He went into the church and he proclaimed it to be a cold gun and then proceeded to give it to Mr. Baldwin, which he should not have done. That's not his job. It's not his responsibility. Hmm. So by him doing that, and I'm not a legal expert, but by him doing that, he took the responsibility out of the armor's purview and took it upon himself. So he made that job his job. So therefore he, at that point, in my opinion, is the one responsible for the safety of that weapon on set. Mm -hmm. Then he gave it to Alec Baldwin, who accepted it without being demonstrated to that the weapon was actually a safe, cold weapon. Mm -hmm. So there's many errors going on here. So in my opinion, all three people, the armor, the assistant director and Alec Baldwin share responsibility in what happened mm -hmm. because none of them adhered to proper safety protocol. Mm -hmm. How about the production staff? I mean, I have to imagine someone told the young woman that was the armorer on set to not be in the church. And she didn't decide this on her own. I'm curious your opinion on the responsibility of the producers rather in not setting up a culture of safety on that set. Right. Uh, the producers, uh, I don't really know who told her not to be on the set. I no. assume it was the prop master. Okay. Uh, I've been told that uh, she was also assisting with props. So she was told to stay out of the church and go do whatever props needed her to do at the time. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's true or accurate. Mm 
that's just what I've heard. I hear you. And, mm-hmm. and if that's true, then the prop master needs to be brought in as a, a culpable, responsible party in this as well, mm-hmm. because the prop master, if you have the proper experience and knowledge, you know that you do not remove the armor from set when there's a weapon going to set. Ah. You don't do it. Right. It seems pretty simple. That seems pretty cut and dried to me as an outsider. That, that seems to make sense. Yes. Um, you know, again, I have to say, again, we don't know the full truth here. So again, Scott's just expressing an opinion, and I am too. It's that we don't have facts fully to deal with here. But I'm curious what you might have heard about the target practice claims. I've heard that that's been a practice, so to speak, for years at Bonanza Ranch, that, you know, it's just one of the perks of being on a crew up there is you get to fire off of, uh, you know, a period weapon and you can brag to your friends. Have you heard anything about that? I've been on that set many times yeah. for many films, uh, both as an actor and as armor. Mm-hmm. And I've been in the business since about 85. Okay. I have never encountered anybody who was, I'll just say audacious enough to take live ammunition onto a set. Right. It's frowned upon. It's you're told you don't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I heard that they were target practicing that morning, uh, I was shocked. I was very shocked because that is not standard practice. That is something that is out of bounds. You don't do it. And whoever did it, uh, well, I better not voice my opinion on that. I hear you, though. Someone had to bring live rounds on the property. That's for sure. Could yes. you explain to the folks what the 30-degree rule is? And we'll talk about that as well. Okay. You don't ever aim the gun directly at anybody. You have to aim about 30 degrees off center. Okay. That way, let's just say there's a rock in the barrel that nobody knew about because someone dropped the gun in the dirt and nobody checked it, which does not happen because every time I see a gun fall in the dirt, I check it and I clean gotcha. it. Yeah. But let's just say it happened. It got by everybody. Mm-hmm. So in case that happens and you fire a blank, at least you know that rock is going to not hit that person where that gun is basically pointed at because mm-hmm. if you're trying to portray someone's getting shot by this weapon you can't really have them get shot so right. we, we hold off about 30 degrees left or right just to make sure that nobody gets hit with anything mm-hmm. now were they using a, a plexiglass shield on on that set in that situation in the church have you heard i i have not heard i okay. don't know yeah. in in an instance where you're going to have a, a weapon that close to camera you should have a Lexan in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. And if that weapon is supposed to be discharged, say with a quarter load, the camera operator should not be anywhere in the vicinity of the camera with the gun that close. Okay, interesting. By the way, uh, Lexan is a very different deal than what I mentioned. Thank you for mentioning it. That's different from Plexi uh, by a long way on safety. Yeah. Uh, in that recent interview I mentioned about on uh, George Stephanopoulos with ABC, Mr. Baldwin claims he never pulled the trigger on the weapon, but it fired anyway. And I, I just have a simple question. Is that actually possible with this weapon? The move that he described is not possible. Okay. Uh, if, let's just go way out of bounds here. Let's say the trigger broke, literally broke in half wow. so that it did not engage on the hammer at all. It then, theoretically, if you pull the hammer back, the hammer could slip forward and fire a cartridge. Mm-hmm. But if that trigger was broken, the armor would know about it because the gun would be not useful. You couldn't use it. 
-hmm. it's be totally unsafe and you you spot it as soon as you try to pull the hammer back to half cock it so you could load the gun mm -hmm. and when you let go of that hammer so you could open up the loading gate that hammer would fall forward and you go oh something's wrong here right so that gun would not go to set now if say the gun was rigged to fan fire because some actors want to fan fire like in the old westerns you know and sure and, and that's kind of fun yeah. but they they don't want to hold the trigger down because it, it's inconvenient or whatever reason, mm -hmm. or they don't have a strong enough finger to maintain pressure on the trigger, mm -hmm. then the armorer can tie the trigger in the rear position so that huh. when you fan fire and you let go of that hammer, it does fall forward and will fire the weapon. But the way Alec Baldwin described it, uh, I would say that he's not telling the truth. Gotcha. Um, you sent us a video to demonstrate this. And um, in this first video, I want to take a look and you can also explain while we're watching it, what's going on here. So the, the guys can roll it. By the way, this is, if you could describe the weapon in some detail as well, what are we, look, what are we looking at here? It's a reproduction of a Colt single action with a three inch barrel. Mm -hmm. And in this video, I'm tapping on the hammer with the hammer cocked back and my finger off the trigger. Off the trigger, okay. Off the trigger. This is to demonstrate that it's very difficult to get these things to fire. It's an, an wow. intentional thing to do when you fire the gun. See, so you, you see, I, I pulled the trigger right. and finally yeah. fired. And well, you, for, for, for us who don't, uh, you know, fire weapons, hand weapons, how much pressure does one need to pull the trigger on an old Colt? Pound-wise, it's probably about two or three pound pull, which doesn't okay. mean much to anybody. Okay. Uh, it's, it's a little difficult. <clears throat> right. It seems. The yeah. The trigger, uh, it engages on these little cutouts on the bottom of the hammer mm -hmm. and they're right angles. So they're very sharp. And when they connect, they connect very well. Right. That way it, the thing won't fire on you accidentally. Can, so, we, can I ask the guys to roll that first one video one, one more time? Cause there's an interesting point you're making there. I want to, with the hammer. Um, I mean, it seems pretty clear as you're tapping away with this, Yes. There's safety designed almost into it. So it doesn't fall on the ground and just fire off or whatever the case may be. You're yes. really giving this a, some serious taps here. So Yes. On the hammer, on the bottom of it, where it engages the trigger, mm -hmm. there's four notches on the bottom. there, And we call them clicks. So you go to the first click, it's kind of like a safety where the firing pin is not anywhere near a cartridge. Okay. Second click is where you can actually load the gun. You open up the loading gate, the cylinder will rotate so you can install your cartridges. Third click is really nothing, but it's just a click. So like if your thumb were to slip off, it would catch it. It would not fall and set the gun off. Mm -hmm. But when the hammer is pulled all the way to the rear, that's the fourth click or the fourth notch, uh, then the gun is ready to fire. As you can see, I'm, I'm pounding on it with a mallet mm -hmm. and it does not fire. So that's how well these things are designed. It's not just gonna slip off and accidentally fire. Mm -hmm. You have to intentionally pull that trigger mm -hmm. to get the weapon to fire. Interesting. You also sent a second video, which we're very appreciative of, and we can roll that too. And again, we've got a single action Colt reproduction loaded with the hammer in place. And this is again on that idea that Mr. Baldwin said he did not pull the trigger. He's not sure how it fired, but go, go ahead and walk us through this one if you would. Ah, look at that. This one just demonstrates about the only way that you're gonna get the gun to fire without pulling the trigger. Right. Uh, it, this demonstrates two things. One, you can set it off with a external mallet tap. 
or if say the actor had the gun in a holster mm-hmm. and he's supposed to draw it out quickly and he fumbled it and it fell to the ground so the mallet is simulating the hammer impacting like a rock or a hard surface sure. it would set the gun off so okay. on on a set i won't load six cartridges into a gun unless we really need six mm-hmm. i always put five in with an empty chamber just in case something like this were to happen, like an actor were to drop the gun, just as he's supposed to pull it out and fire, mm-hmm. you know, he fumbles it and it falls on the ground and then it would accidentally shoot. Mm-hmm. And that's something we don't want to happen. So I don't load six cartridges unless we really need it for the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, is there some way, you know, to avoid this scenario like this? There's a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a first blush push to go to CGI, not use you know dummies or anything else on in real guns does that is that a satisfactory answer here to you to me no okay um safety is the key to everything of course mm-hmm. to go to cgi one cgi is wonderful uh actors give a, a flat performance when they don't have a, uh, the actual thing happening gotcha. in other words if they don't hear the explosion and see the smoke and the flame they, they tend not to react properly when supposedly they're setting the gun off and it's fired. Mm-hmm. Uh, the gun doesn't move at all. Uh, they don't have it in their face if they're actually firing. So to them to say, oh, let's just go to airsoft and we'll CGI everything, or we'll just use CGI guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't agree with that at all. Uh, I know it's a terrible thing that happened and it could have been avoided because mm-hmm. uh, we've gone so many years without anything happening. That's right, that's right. Uh, and so uh, one element that could help uh, make this safer environment is to separate props from weapons. Uh-huh. In other words, we have a property master right. or we have a stunt coordinator. So the stunt department is a separate entity all to its own. So special effects. Mm-hmm. Well, why can't firearms or weapons be a separate entity, a separate department with a weapons master? Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we need to go mm-hmm. just to props has lots to do you know they don't have just three or four props right. that are to give to an actor good they point have to pay attention continuously all day long to every yep. scene every minute they got to make sure that the right wrist watch is on the wrist of the actor uh why do they want to also handle firearms where you got to deal with blanks or dummy cartridges demonstrating the weapon uh, you know it's taking up time from you setting your props on the show mm-hmm. so I'm of the mindset that we need to have a complete separation of props and weapons. That makes sense. A, a totally yeah. safe department that is just weapons. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Speaking of which, let's talk about ammunition and how it works on film sets. And I don't want to get my terms mixed up here, but blanks okay. versus dummies and all that kind of thing. <laughs> what 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 do you need? What do we need to know as the public on the actual bullets and how they're used in these prop guns? Okay, we, we have, of course, a cold weapon, which has nothing in it. Mm-hmm. That's an empty weapon, no cartridges in it, no dummy rounds in it, nothing. Mm-hmm. On set, we don't bring live ammunition or real ammunition, okay? Mm-hmm. So we use blanks or dummy cartridges, and sometimes we use snap caps, and they, they replace uh, dummy cartridges or blanks. So we have a blank here. Can ah, you see that? Sure can. And you can see the crimps on the front of it. Yep. This is just like what they use on rust, okay? Interesting. And that is a blank. That's a, a full load blank right there. Now, when a cartridge is fired, 
you get that little dimple in the back. Oh, right in the middle. The primer. Yeah. Yes. So you know this has been fired because mm -hmm. that's dimpled. I'm sorry, so what's that called again? That little piece in the middle? Primer. Primer. Okay. Yeah. I cut you off there. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Yes. Uh, and so when you have a dummy cartridge, it's just a brass cartridge, mm -hmm. but it'll have a bullet on the front to simulate a live round. I see. But there's no gunpowder in it. And if you rattle it, there's a BB inside. Huh. So it's totally unmistakable. If you have a, a real cartridge, it doesn't rattle. Mm -hmm. You can shake it and you'll hear nothing. A dummy cartridge, even though it looks identical, has a bullet on there, looks identical, it'll rattle. Right. So you can distinctly tell what is a dummy cartridge and what is not a dummy cartridge. Huh. Interesting point there, Scott. I just, you know, you're confirming for me as I'm listening to you more and more that pretty much the first thing you said in our interview here that it just seems like a series of breakdowns here. Because if it was just one person, that's actually easier to solve. That yes. one person could look at the whole situation and go, hey, hang on, guys, here, we, gotta, <laughs> we need to hold up here and get this right. But if it's a whole series of people being loose, it, it just, once something starts going downhill, it picks up momentum. It's very unfortunate that we've had a loss of life because of that. It, it is. It's mm -hmm. absolutely horrendous that it happened. It was a snowball effect, mm -hmm. and it could have been solved very simply by the armor coming onto the set, carrying that weapon, demonstrating to the crew and to the actor, Mr. Baldwin, mm -hmm. that that weapon was at first cold. You know, there's no cartridges in it. Right. And, it, and if they needed to have the dummy rounds in it, then once you demonstrate that the gun is empty of cartridges, then you show them the dummy cartridges one at a time. Mm -hmm. You rattle it and you pass it around. You give it mm -hmm. to the first assistant director. Oh, no kidding. You actually you, pass it around. Yes. Really? Yes. Interesting. And you have everybody that's involved right there in that shop. Huh. They rattle it. Or they might hear it rattling and they'll say, I, I hear it rattle. And gotcha. that's fine. Mm -hmm. As long as they can hear it and tell that there's a rattle going on. And then you absolutely ensure that the actor holds that cartridge and rattles it. I, I, I don't want him to hear it. I want him to actually do it himself. Right. And I do that. So on, on the, uh, the Western gun, mm -hmm. you open up the loading gate. Mm -hmm. okay, And you show them that the inside is all empty. Mm -hmm. okay? And then let's pretend that this expelled blank cartridge mm -hmm. is a dummy round so everybody rattles it after each one that's rattled then it gets put into the gun okay gotcha. goes in gotcha. and then i rattle the next one and put that into the gun all six times huh. and once that happens i'll take the gun i'll point it towards the ground mm -hmm. i'll pull the hammer back and i'll demonstrate on all six chambers that it can't fire because wow. these are dummy rounds okay and this was not done on the set this huh. is to be done anytime there's dummy cartridges in a weapon. You demonstrate that you do not have anything that will fire. Wow. The, I yeah. mean, what you just did is so far the polar opposite of what we're hearing, what happened on Rust. I mean, I can't even yes. imagine that. Yes. Oh, man, it's just the protocols I'm, I'm realizing that were broken here. Um, Scott, I got to ask you, though, as well, um, you're, you're a master armorer. Is that different from just being an armorer? Or is is uh, there levels you have to attain that? It's weapons master. There's key armor, okay. and then there's armor. Armor on the set is just someone who runs, and they'll help load the weapons. Yep. Weapons master is overall in control of the weapons on the set. Mm -hmm. uh, he'll help production attain the weapons. Uh, but they make sure that the weapon is also functional. The weapon breaks on set. If you rented it from out of state, 
nine times out of 10, they just want to send you a replacement one. That's fine. Right. Uh, weapons that I work with on shows here in New Mexico uh, are mostly from New Mexico. So if it breaks on set, I'm allowed to repair it. Mm-hmm. So I'm a gunsmith. I can repair the weapons on set, and okay. make sure that they're maintained and running. Good stuff. Are you concerned about our reputation, either at Bonanza Ranch or here just in New Mexico overall about how we do our thing here? Or is it more on the rust people? I'm, I'm concerned there might be some leakage on us if, if you get my drift. There's going to be some paint stick to us, certainly. Yeah. Uh, however, the armor on rust was not from New Mexico. Okay. So because of what happened, I don't think that should permanently taint us. Okay. It will, it will in the short term, I'm sure. But in the long run, uh, she wasn't from here. And I don't know if I should say too much more about that, but mm-hmm. hopefully we won't be tainted for long. That's a good way to go. Hey, Scott Rasmussen, I can't thank you enough for spending some time doing this. This, you know, I've not really, I've never seen that demonstration of the gun you just did anywhere else. That's very interesting. You're it on. also really makes the point about what was not done on that set. I, I can't thank you enough for yes. us here at New Mexico PBS and our viewers for taking some time to do that for us. So absolutely. Thank you, sir. We'll see you next time. Maybe we'll catch up with you later as this story moves down the road. No problem. More oh, hang, on, hang on a quick sec. Hang on a quick sec. Scott there. Ooh. I appreciate that. Now, let me just read a little close here for you. Uh, 2021 has had its share of challenges as the first part of our countdown illustrates. But if there is one thing. Ah, I see. Sorry about that. Ignore what I just did there, guys. Okay. Facebook Live. You know, I get handed things I read. I, I have a question. As an actor, if you're handed a cold gun, should you check it? That comes up a lot where they people, if you watch on Facebook, People are very concerned that Mr. Baldwin is, was actually the last person to look. And they, I think they just have the protocols wrong. Where does, where does Mr. Baldwin, although, fit into this as the actor? In a perfect world on set, the actor, director, DP, sound, key grip, they all should be there as myself, the armor, demonstrates to them that the weapon is safe. Gotcha. And demonstrate that the, the dummy rounds are dummy rounds. On that set, none of that was done. The AD gave Mr. Baldwin the gun. Mm-hmm. At that point, he should have refused the gun oh. because he was not shown that it was cold. I he see. was not shown that the rounds in there were dummy rounds. For all he knew, it could have nothing in it or it could have a live cartridge in there, which it had a live cartridge in it. So he does bear some responsibility, as I stated before, mm-hmm. because even he didn't check the gun. He didn't ask somebody to show it to him. Right. Right. Uh, if you don't know how a gun operates, other than you know how to shoot it on camera, okay, but you're unclear of how to really check it, then ask the armor, hey, prove to me that this is a cold weapon. Yep. And I've had a lot of actors who have said that to me, prove to me that this is a cold weapon, mm-hmm. because they're probably getting their microphone put on, so they weren't there at the little safety briefing showing that the weapon was cold. So I more than happily demonstrate to them everything and i always have a flashlight with me because i want to shine a flashlight down into the chamber so they can absolutely see there's nothing in there i see and i'll I'll have a a, maybe a a little dowel or a cleaning rod that i can put in the front of the barrel and demonstrate that there's nothing in the barrel and that also demonstrates that the weapon is a cold weapon 
And that also proves, by the way, why you're, you're, you're proving why we haven't really had a lot many problems over the years on film sets with these guns. Yes. If you follow the protocol, it seems pretty foolproof what you're describing here. It, it is very foolproof, absolutely foolproof. Mm -hmm. the, the problem is hiring inexperienced people and putting them in a lead position. Gotcha. In other words, Hannah Gutierrez Reed should never have been the armor on the show. Mm -hmm. There should have been a weapons master above her training her. In I other see. words, that guy is on the set all the time. Right. And she watches and learns from him. And then under his instruction, does the same thing on the show. Mm -hmm. that she was just thrown in there probably because of her dad, his reputation of being in Hollywood for 50 years doing this. That's right. Uh, but that's supposition on my part. Mm -hmm. So until I know the facts, I'm going to stick with my supposition. Uh, she yeah, I appreciate should, that. Yeah. She you should know, have never been in the show. And we have, we have some indication that she was, in fact, feeling very insecure about the situation of following the wording of her attorneys uh, a few weeks back, that she was, in fact, asking people that said something didn't seem right to her and and she, it sounds like she was sort of ignored in some some ways as well again mm -hmm. we don't know we weren't there so we'll have to find out when it all finds out we'll all find yes. out in real time together yes. so absolutely hey scott rasmussen again thank you uh, for really doing this this has really been a great treat and uh, again i want to catch up with you later if in fact something breaks a little bit and we get back into the gun situation how it works or doesn't work so not a problem contact me anytime we appreciate it. you may get called for expert testimony after what you just did. I mean, that was uh, pretty solid right there. So, Scott, thank you. Really appreciate it. And You're folks, very welcome. We'll see you Friday thank night you. at 7, Channel 5.1 for our usual show, The Mexico in Focus. We had some great stuff coming up. Our top 10 list of the top 10 stories of 2021. going to take you right out to the end of the year, Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve as well. We'll see And that'll do it for another episode of New Mexico in Focus, the podcast. We'll be back again on Friday, New Year's Eve, again, to continue our countdown of the top stories of 2021. We hope you will join us then, and we hope you have a terrific week and stay safe. Enjoy time with family and friends. Uh, be safe, be healthy, and thanks so much for listening. I'm Kevin McDonald, your host and executive producer here at New Mexico PBS. Thanks, as always, for staying so informed and engaged here with the podcast, New Mexico in Focus.